I have a uh, fridge in my office. A little dorm fridge reminded me of I used to be young. Uh, and in that, I, uh, I keep uh, beverages uh, from time to time when I remember to replenish it. Uh, and a few weeks ago, I was very excited that I had uh, made a point to go over to the cellar of such things. And I walked down the aisle and I saw these beautiful cases of one of my favorite beverages. And so I thought, these will be great in my office. I shall put them in there. And so I did. 24 gleaming, amazing, chilled, cold, Topa Chico. I don't do commercials. Where's the camera? Uh, delicious. This was my gateway bubbles here. Um, it has taken me to all other carbonated uh, with gas, uh, you know, water. It wasn't something that uh, I was into before. In fact, I avoided it at all costs. And then this happened in my life, and now I'm into all of them. These bubbles are gateways. Stay away from them if you don't want to go all the way. And so they gleamed up, they sat there nice and stacked in the glass. It's better in the glass, isn't it? It's just nice, it's cold, feels good, looks good, I'm ready. And so it all piled up there, and then a couple of days later I think, you know, I've been talking a lot, it's occupational hazard. I have been working very hard mentally at least, if not spiritually and physically, and so I, I thought I, I'm going to get a beverage and refresh myself. I go to my dorm-sized fridge, I open it, and there they are gleaming and smiling at me, the little yellow caps, just happiness waiting for me. And I pick it out, and I look at it, and I go, yes, this is going to be wonderful, and this is not a twist-off. <laughs> and I confess that I start thinking through all the ways in a former life I could remove a cap that was not a twist-off. <laughs> but short of that, I thought, it's Tuesday at 4, I'll put this back in the refrigerator, I'm sure I'll remember to bring a bottle opener. Weeks pass, and this repeats itself from time to time. I would think, oh, man, that would be great right now, but I don't have a bottle opener. And I'll think, and maybe you take some confidence in the fact that your pastor doesn't get home and think, where's my bottle opener? <laughs> it's not my first thought when I get home, but it makes the drink a little less useful. It's a pretty decoration. I mean, it's a pretty logo. It's a pretty bottle. looks good in the refrigerator, but no one's getting to drink anything. In this series, we've been talking about how we might get to the blessings to which God has designed for us by opening up uh, not only ourselves, but also God's word that we might learn from it. We've been talking about the story of God's redemptive ark and how we might join it from Genesis's origin story about how we are gifted a world that is good and full of possibility, that the seed is in it. That the possibility of a world is gifted to humanity and said, take it, be fruitful and multiply, caretake it, take care of each other, take care of the dirt. And God says, meet me in the afternoon. We'll hang out together. And it's all wonderful till the lies start to get spun through the words of the serpent and the heads and hearts of those who have been made stewards of this good earth with the seed in it impossible. And they eat the fruit, but the fruit really isn't the problem. The problem is what Paul says in Romans 1, they trade the truth of God for a lie and so do we. We trade the truth of our stewardship call for our ownership demands. We want to own and hold on to. We want to get and say what is good. And that's really the rebellion. And so all the earth's affected by this, and so are we. We want to own so we get a world that we can control, that we're lord over, but it's less interesting, less beautiful, less good, less seeds are in it. And in that story, we see that the breaking down of humanity's relationship with each other to themselves and to God and to the earth is pretty 
tragic. Genesis 3 walks through things that used to be blessings but are now curses on the other side of the garden. That is, the relationship between Adam and Eve are affected. Humans' relationship are affected. The relationship between God and people is affected. They hide from God. They heard you in the garden. They went and hid. And God says, what have you done? And Adam says, well, we, um, yeah. And God says, hmm, what have you been doing? And Adam says, this is great. My favorite part of, well, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. When Adam says, that woman that you put in here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Right? Adam knows the game is blame, and so does Eve, and they are broken between each other. Their relationship's not quite right as it should be post this. The relationship of their very bodies, right? They're, they're not wearing anything before, but after they eat, the shame comes over them, and their alienation begins in themselves, and their very bodies don't look right to them. They hide. They're naked and ashamed. So they hide from God. They hide from themselves. They hide from each other, and out of this place they go, and they're told from the sweat of their brow they will eat. Which is not just that it'll be war work outside the garden, but they'll be anxious. The daily bread of life outside the garden is anxious. And because of that, there is no number that we can save that we don't worry about money. We live in the richest country that has ever been, ever, and we worry about money. We live with uh, technology and blessings that make eating and food and communications easier than anybody who has ever lived, and we worry. Because the daily bread outside the garden is the anxiety of there not being enough. Because the goodness that we taste is one we think we can consume and yet are not satisfied. And so God pours himself into the midst of this and tells us the blaming that Adam and Eve go to will not set us free. In fact, the whole point of the cross is to take responsibility for that which God is not to blame. We think blame will free us, but it won't. We think blame will heal us, but it won't. It is God saying, I'm responsible for a world go wrong, but not to blame. It's not God's fault that the world is full of sin and sinners and selfishness, but God says, I'm responsible. And on the cross, takes the brokenness and says, I will bring blessedness to this place. I will fill the hearts of those who are empty. I will heal the places that are broken, not because God's to blame, but because God's in love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son That it's not a mission of condemnation, but of rescue or renewal and invasion. We've been talking about in this series about how it's not an escape mission of God. It is an invasion mission of heaven to the world, through the world, in the world, for the world. Last week, the sermon was, the world is not the enemy. The world is the aim. It is what heaven is aimed at to bring and redeem. Paul has thoughts about this. And if we're going to have them, we've got to open it up. And so we're going to open up our Bibles. You have your Bible. Open that up. Uh, and we can open those up to, uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And here we can read in verse 5 and following. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. Paul is dealing with some issues within Corinth. And the heart of those issues is Corinth is aligning themselves up by who they find to be the most powerful ministry of this new gospel they have accepted. Paul planted this church. Other folks are moving around talking about Jesus. Some folks have come that are perhaps more eloquent than Paul. Perhaps their uh, worship is more engaging, or, or they have better decorations, or, or they have smoother language. And Paul says, hold up, the mission isn't the one who tells you about it. It's what they're telling you about. Don't mistake the waiter for the meal. 
That's Paul's steward in the household of God. That's what pastors and missionaries and anybody else are. They're just folks that bring the feast. You can have your favorite waiter, but don't mistake that waiter for the one who's cooked, prepared, and fed you at that table. We don't proclaim ourselves, but Christ crucified. And Paul says it's dangerous to look only at the label in the package. If you look only at that, it might look well, but if you can't get it open, if you can't get to the meat of it, if you can't get to the the liquid inside the jar... Well, then it's not useful. It's just a decoration, which I've seen people make amazing decorations out of these bottles, by the way, creative folks, not not me. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts, give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that that it may be made clear that as an extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Made clear where the power comes from. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you hear that language? Crushed, I mean, we're afflicted, but not crushed. We're perplexed, we're confused, our minds can't make sense of everything, but we're not in despair. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. So clay jars are the illustration Paul wants to use to say what we are as vessels of this good news. We proclaim what's been poured into. The value of this is minimal if it can't get out. I don't know how, but into this water they have trapped the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Or it bubbles. And you you have to have the right thing to open it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one had a good time before I got to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you see that? It's amazing. It's just rising to heaven as you watch it. Can you see that? Unbelievable. But without the cap off, nothing can happen. I can't be refreshed. I'm still thirsty. It can decorate my fridge. Or if the cap's off, but it's empty, we wind up with nothing, right? We have a decoration. We have the appearance of what might be. Paul says, we have this treasure in clay jars. And clay jars are the glass bottles of his time. They, they are the thing in which things are filled that you might carry water or oil or ointment or anything, grain. And I've heard this passage so many times to degrade what humans are. Paul's not putting down humans. Paul's saying they're not the point, but they have a purpose. Clay jars are vital. Everywhere you go in the ancient world, you'd find pieces of pottery. If you go there now, you'd walk on it on archaeological sites, just pottery everywhere because it's the way life is lived. It's a necessity. It isn't the point of life, though. It's a way to carry. It has purpose. In the same way, whether leaders or disciples, Jesus' people, or the church, the building, the songs we sing, the people that are on staff or the folks that sit the pews, we are not the point, but we're part of the purpose. Not the point, but part of the purpose. There were a delivery mechanism so the world might have something, that the thirsty might be quenched. And so the point isn't to have as many people as possible sit in chairs. The point is to get as much God into us that it might pour through, pour on, pour out, and pour onto the place we have been sent. We're not the point, but we are part of the purpose. Jars of clay is not a criticism. It's a recognition of the truth. And jars, to be helpful, must open. And that means when we step out and say we want to be a blessing, we want to be people of compassion, we want to be in ministry and mission, that we have to be willing to be vulnerable, changed, and altered. 
We have to be open. The cap has to come off of all that we seal in and keep tight. It has to be open, and yet it can't be empty inside. It's got to be filled up. And I know what you're thinking. My jar is in a state. That's the greatest news of all. The shape of your life, even the wounds that God has healed, makes the jar of your story to be shaped and altered in unique ways that the passion of your heart beats with the heart of God and intersects with his invasion of hope in the world. And there is a hint and an echo and a voice that calls us to the mission of our life. Friends, it took me way too long to learn that mission isn't a place we go or a trip we take. Mission is the way we live. Mission is the way we live as people who bring good news because the Spirit of God has been poured into us because we were thirsty, now we're refreshed, and that pouring continues so long as we stay open. Remember the fall, the alienation, the brokenness that happens is from God, from each other, from the earth, and from ourselves. The healing of that is admitting the truth about our need for God's grace. And it's in being reconnected and reconciled to Christ. Here's how Paul puts it in the next chapter. See, he's not running us down because he said this, from now on, verse 16 of chapter 5, therefore we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. Not just simple potted clay. This is in fact something with deep purpose that the Spirit's been poured into. So if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. But no, Ben, you don't know what I did. You should see me open a bottle with no bottle opener. I, there's no place you could have been, nothing you could have done where this scripture won't be true. Everything old can be made new in Christ. Everything has become new. All this is from God who did what? Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Remember poverty, brokenness, sin, all these words work in relation to alienation. Alienations from God, alienation from relationships, alienation from our very being, and alienations from our labor. Sweat of our brow, anxiety, distance from our work, our creativity, our art, if, you're in, if you can do that, our storytelling, and yes, the production of that labor. To be poor is to be alienated materially from materials and resources from the labor we've been designed to be a part of. Reconciled. So God's first step in is to reconcile, fill up the vessel, the jars of clay, so that they might be filled, reconciled to Christ, given this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not just us, but all, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here is the reading, the word of God for the people of God. So Paul says to these folks who believe that they have found the best folks to follow, he says, don't worry about being like them. Don't look at appearances. Instead, open yourself up that God might pour into the unique shape of the jar you are, that the world might be blessed in the way that God designed you. So if you love young mothers or their children, there is a spot for you in Blessing Mops or in the nursery, or take any of mine. If you uh, love those who have been wounded and hurt, if your heart 
beats with justice and a righteous indignation that it shouldn't be this way for women who are trafficked or abused. You heard Denise in here last week. Mag House is out there. If you think no one should live in shelter that is uh, unsubstantial, left to the elements without running water within the shadow and reach of this steeple, then, you know, Blueprint Ministries waiting to meet you in the ministry fair. There are places for your passions to meet God's purposes. And if it isn't at a table and it's in your heart, you don't need a matching t-shirt or my permission or a budget line item to go do the thing God's made you to do. Because it may be that your gifting and your grace is to create jobs and make money. Keep doing it. People need jobs. Work came before the fall. It is our alienation from work and the resources therein, our attitudes about money, where sin has touched and rotted that which was meant to be holy. Maybe your gift is sitting with folks who are hurting over coffee. God can take that jar and fill it. But we can't do that unless we're willing to be changed ourselves. And that means the first step in mission is not what we know. It's not who we are. It's not what we can do. It is to listen. The first step in any missional journey isn't to get a plane ticket. It isn't to find a place on the globe. It isn't to find the poorest and the worst off that we're feel like, well, we have something for them because they don't know, they don't have, they aren't. And defining our missional step out on what we think is wrong with other folks instead is to listen. And in listening, we learn. And in learning, we learn to see what is good in communities and other people and in ourselves. So we listen first to God, then to each other, then to communities. And in that listening, we learn and grow. That way we don't wind up Knocking on somebody's door and saying, hey, this is my favorite part of this. They come to my house. You come knock on my door. I told you last week, knock on my door and say, hey, you've got problems. And I'll say, okay. Are you here to fix the siding or the, the bushes? I should trim those. Yeah. No, no, your life. You, you're a problem and I'm here to fix it. I'll say, uh, Holly, that's my wife. Uh, it's for you. <laughs> Somebody wants to talk to you about your problems. But that too often has been how we think about ministry and mission, to show up in a place and say, we have what you need, rather than we're here to listen, to learn, and to multiply the good in your life. And so we listen, not for what's wrong, but for what's already blessed, because God's already pouring himself out. He's reconciling the whole world, which is a little bigger than our neighborhoods. It's bigger than us. And so we can confidently know that God has poured out the Holy Spirit and this reconciliation in Christ outside of where we have stepped yet, and we'll meet him in those places. And as we do that, we're not going to fix other people. We can't fix ourselves, but we are going to face the realities so that the thirsty might be quenched. Maybe that's in the schools or the work or the streets we live on. It could be a lot of places and all the places because we believe here at university, God is reconciling the world to look more like we just prayed. That God's will would indeed be done here on earth, this bit of earth, as it already is in heaven. And the way that looks is the disposition of hearts that realizes we have to be open, filled, and fueled, and shaped for this work. And uniquely we have even our wounds, because that is a place where the healing of God will be a blessing to others on their journey. So in listening and learning, uh, we grow in God's grace, and we, we have to realize that so often, because we're good at it, we treat every challenge that faces society as a crisis. You get the same news I did. Everything's a crisis. Everything is on fire all the time now. Because it's an attention grabber, except we're getting numb to it, so it's not working as well, which is a real problem when something's really on fire, when crises really happen. Now, we're good in the church at crisis. 
Just a couple years ago, this space was a medical shelter during the hurricanes hit the Gulf Coasts. And we were all together on the other side, and this church responded, gave money, did amazing. That's exactly what you do when a crisis happens. We had a crisis at our house uh, when our uh, now five-year-old, she was two, had a toddler break. Her name is Elia, and I thought a toddler break was made up. Because when you go and you look at the x-ray, they said, now you can't see a toddler break. And I'm like, oh, I've been on a snipe hunt. Let's do this. Okay. And I thought, oh, toddler break means like orthopedic folks have to send their kids to school too. So, but apparently it's a real thing. Uh, and so she was fitted with a real cast. Uh, and that cast is a uh, healing for that for a couple uh, months, maybe six weeks. And she waddled around. It was pink. She was super cute um, in her cast. And she kind of got around. And then one day it was time to take the cast off. And we took the cast off of her leg. And she came home, and she didn't want to walk on that leg. Over those few weeks, the muscles had atrophied, didn't feel great. It felt weird. She'd had a stiff leg for so long, and the structure of the cast that helped it during the crisis, it had worked. And she wanted to be carried. And we could have picked her up and carried her everywhere. And she could have been 18. And we could have carried her uh, to prom. Or not. We could have done that, but... We know, right, that if she's going to continue to develop as the person God created her to be, that there was a capacity in that leg to grow stronger, and that meant she had to walk on it. The same is true when we think about agency and development within people that we label sometimes as in crisis. And one of the challenges of folks that are in material poverty or in relational poverty or in spiritual poverty or in their own body poverty is that everything's a crisis, And so when we treat everything like a crisis, they stay in a constant cycle of anxiety and brokenness. And it feeds our need to be needed and their need to be taken care of, but they don't develop on the journey of God's calling for them. They don't get to be jars. They get to be projects. And I got to tell you, friends, nobody wants to be a project. You don't want to be a project. I don't want to be a project. Healthy people don't want to be projects. And we got lots of unhealthy people, including me. We're all unhealthy, but as God's grace is poured out, we look long range, which is why when Denise Barker talks about the blessing of Mag House, it doesn't happen over one cup of tea. It's three, four years of development agency, an invitation for them to own their own journey, which is what God invites us to do, to be ambassadors. It's not a single spot. It's a fleet of people. Declaring heaven's invasion to a territory, to an earth that has a broken heart that is not the enemy, but the aim of God's grace. The invitation may call you to Lock Hill to be a tutor, to Colonies North to be a mentor, to give you your time and your space to share a thing. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to be trained to listen. You're going to learn. You're going to look for the good. And you're going to be amazed at the pouring out into the jar of your life, God's grace. I know there's jars here that feel empty. The disposition of an empty jar isn't to put a lid on that emptiness and not tell folks. It's to open up and let God pour in. Other folks, because we look pretty good and our Christmas card is going to look all right. Uh, We have it sealed up and, and put together. But we need to open that up and be honest about what's inside of us and what's to be stewarded, not owned. The invitation is to not do for people regularly what they can do for themselves. That's a principle of our missional engagement going forward. We will not do for people regularly what they can do for themselves. And if you don't think missionally about this, hey, Thanksgiving's come up. You've seen this in your family if it's anything like mine. You've seen the disastrous effects of people for whom something has been done regularly that they ought to attend to themselves, haven't you? Yeah. 
Because the agency and invitation to grow the strength on the legs God gave them, whether they're uh, metaphorical or literal, to live into their life have been taken because somebody else has met that challenge for them, whether it's us or something else in life. The invitation is not to fix it because we can't. It's to face it together. And know that it's even though we walk the valley of the shadow of death, it isn't erased. It's occupied. It's filled up. It's filled up. And we think we could drain it and it'll be gone. But you know what? These can be recycled. It's a beautiful thing of the glass. And it, it's definitely better. Oh, it's pretty. It's beautiful when something meets its purpose. They didn't the point. We're not the point. The church isn't the point. The point is, Jesus Christ has done this thing for us and for all that the world might look like God wants it to. So, as you're thinking about what the heartbeat and passion of your life is, as you're praying about what might be the shape of my jar that might be a blessing and need to be poured into, or do I need to crack it open? Do I need to find a, an opener in this life that I might be open to God's presence and God's spirit and God's calling? As you do that and you drive these streets... As you go to work, as you go to the uh, coffee shop, as you uh, go to the gym or you play, wherever you learn, wherever you grow, all the places you go, look with eyes that see the good and then ask and pray, God, what would it look like? What will it look like when God gets what God wants on this street? Look at your front yard. Walk down it. Walk in your neighborhood. They don't even know. Your neighbors, don't. they already think you're crazy. Don't worry about it. They... If you're thinking, say it out loud. Walk those streets and pray to God. What would it look like if this street looked like God wanted it to look like? What would happen in these houses? What would happen in these marriages? What would happen in these schools? What would happen in these friendships? What would happen in these workplaces? What would happen in San Antonio if God got what God wanted out of God's people? I don't know about you, but that's a reason to get up in the morning and open up to the power and presence of God that we might see. Just how much would get poured out as God reconciles all things through Christ, including us. I want to be a part of that embrace, which is why those moments when we have stepped out in mission and service to others, when we've given of ourselves and been vulnerable and shared, we have this deep sense of belonging and purpose. We have the uh, amazing blessings. People will tell you that the, the week of vacation they took to pay to go on a trip somewhere and bless somebody else was the best week of their year. Why? Because God is perpetually pouring out blessing and embrace, particularly to those who are thirsty for it, so that we get caught up in the embrace of that love and we realize, oh, it's never been about us, but we get to be a part of it. Not the point, but the purpose, the purpose and the usefulness. Clay jars aren't thrown away unless they're broken, and this is the great news. We can be healed and sealed, and that crack, that vein, that chipped part of your story Mm, don't cover it up. Don't seal it up. It is the most compelling part of our lives when we share with other people, this was my wound that is now a scar, and let me tell you about the God who healed me. And then we listen, and we learn, we look to the good, and we fall in love because God so loves the world. May our hearts break and our hearts bless where God's does on this dirt, in these hallways, in these schools, and at our work. Let's pray. Lord, oh, we repent of seeing everything as a crisis when you are on a journey of development, of reconciliation with us, with the world, us to each other, us to our labor and our work, that we might with creativity and beauty and blessing multiply that which you pour out upon the world, made overflow 
the vessels of our lives, that we become ambassadors, those who are agents of another land, citizens of heaven, we sang earlier, that we might declare to a world in rebellion and a broken heart, there is drink enough for you. The well is deeper than you can imagine. There is hope and joy. Tell us about your journey. Let us walk together to where God is calling. So Lord, we thank you. We bless your name and we ask you to pour your spirit upon all those now who wrestle with well, what does it mean to be a shaped jar in this place? My jar is empty. Fill it, Lord. The jars are sealed. Teach us how to break it open before you that it might fill us with your love and grace that the bubbles of your joy would light up within us and those who are aching and thirsty, parched in life and soul would come and find in us faithful sharers of your point, your purpose, your reconciliation of all things through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.